today we're going to jump back into our series entitled Love and Respect. And uh, I really have a little bookend thing I want to give us. Kind of our first thought for today uh, and our last thought for today is really, I feel like, the bookends of this entire series. And as I shared with you last week, if you're here today and you're married, this series is for you. If you're here today and you're single, this series is for you. If you're here today and you are divorced, this series is for you. If you're here today and you're widowed, this series is for you. If you're young or you're old, it doesn't matter. This is for you. Let me tell you why. Because we're going to drill down specifically on some things regarding marriage. But I also want you to understand everything that we're talking about through this series applies to every relationship that you're in. Love and respect are foundation stones upon which all healthy relationships are built. As a matter of fact, you're never really going to build healthy relationships with other people unless you understand the value and the significance of love and respect. Those are things that God hardwired into the souls of men and women. And if you want to have healthy, godly, life-giving relationships, whether that's a friendship, whether that's a co-worker relationship, whether that's the body of Christ as a whole, or whether it's in a marriage relationship, you're going to learn something, I pray, through this series that's going to kind of put some tools in your tool belt that's going to resource you, equip you, and empower you by the Holy Spirit to live the life that God has called you to live. So I want you to look with me in Ephesians chapter 5. Let me just read that first statement, then we're going to look in Ephesians 5. So here's our opening statement. Marriage is God's idea, and it is holy. Marriage is God's idea, and it is holy. And the context for all loving, intimate, sexual relationships is between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. And the reason I want to start with that is because I believe, as I said last Sunday, our job as a church is to bring clarity to the culture. And in our culture today, our culture is confused about what marriage looks like. Our culture has redefined marriage. How many know God has not redefined marriage? Marriage is still between one man and one woman. Until death do us part was God's original plan. But it is between one man and one woman. And all intimate sexual relationships outside the context of marriage is called sin. And it's not sin because God doesn't want you to have fun. It's sin because sin brings death. And if you've been out in the world and you've sowed your wild oats, so to speak, you understand that on the other side of all that wild party, fun kind of living, you found out there was a lot of pain, there was a lot of wounds, there was a lot of heartache, and everybody walked away with something broken on the inside of them. Now, in the moment, we were like, woohoo, this is amazing. But on the other side of the woohoo, this is amazing, we recognize now we've got some baggage that we're carrying into every other relationship. And now what happened here that went wrong last year is affecting me now in this relationship. That's why we need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need godly community so we can continue to grow and sharpen one another and help one another to become who God has called us to be. And so I just want to encourage you today that as we understand the context of marriage and the the beauty of what God has given us, marriage really is intended to be the foundation stone of the family. In the book of Malachi, God says that he hates divorce. He doesn't hate divorce people. God loves divorce people. But God hates divorce. Why? Because divorce brings pain. 
And as I've talked with a lot of people that have went through a divorce, this is what I've recognized. And I shared this yesterday at our singles conference. And by the way, we had an amazing singles conference yesterday. And I want to just give a special shout out to Shondor and Chastity for doing a great job hosting what I hope to be our first annual uh, singles conference. But I got to slipping at the end of the conference yesterday, and they were doing some Q&A, and somebody handed me a microphone, and that messed everything up, right? And uh, so I started talking. But uh, I gave it back pretty quick. But, but I was able to share something. I said, God hates divorce, not because he hates divorcee, but God hates divorce because divorce brings pain and death and heartache into people's lives. And I've, again, I've walked with, with a lot of people through divorces, and even when divorce was the best option. I mean, even when there was abuse and infidelity and it was the right choice to make, it still hurt people. And everybody walks out of a divorce with a wound. And everybody walks out of divorce with pain. Nobody comes through a divorce unscathed by the pain of a broken relationship. So God hates divorce, not because he hates divorced people, but because he hates the pain that divorce causes in the hearts of people. And then in Malachi, God says this, I hate divorce because I desire a godly seed. A godly seed. You, you know what God is looking for? We're going to see today that, that part of the purpose of marriage is bigger than me and you enjoying our life together as husband and wife. It's bigger than just a happy, healthy relationship. There is a spiritual, a kingdom context for marriage that I don't know that we've really tapped into. And we're going to kind of look at that today. And again, whether you're married or single, you can glean from what we're going to talk about today because God wants to instill some virtues in our hearts that will help us in every aspect of our lives. So look at Ephesians 5, verse 21. The Bible says this, the Apostle Paul speaking says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to who? Well, no. So he's talking right here not just about marriage relationships. He's talking about all relationships. And we said last week, and this is huge. This is worth the price of admission today just to come back and hear this one statement. The key to healthy relationships is not controlling each other. It's submitting to one another. The key to healthy relationships is not control. It's submission. And the Bible says here that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then Paul breaks it down. Look what he says. He says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. For no one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two become one, are united into one. Look at verse 32. And this is a great mystery. Listen to this statement. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. This is a great mystery. Here's the mystery. The mystery is that your marriage is intended to be an illustration of Christ and the church. 
Your marriage is intended to be an illustration of Christ in the church. What does that mean? It simply means this, men. If you're here today and you're a married man, it simply means this. People should be able to look at you, husband, and the way that you treat your wife should be a picture of how Jesus treats the church. The way that you treat your wife should be a picture of how Jesus treats the church. People ought to look at you in your marriage relationship. See, our marriage, here's the kingdom context of marriage. Your marriage is intended to be a living, breathing testimony that illustrates the relationship between Christ and the church. Your marriage is to be a living, breathing testimony of what it means to be a Christian. And the world ought to be able to look at a Christian's marriage and look at how the man treats the wife and say, man, that's how Jesus treats the church. I want some of that. And then, ladies, the Bible says that the world ought to be able to look at you and the way that you submit to or respect your husband, they ought to be able to look at you and see a picture of how the church responds to Christ. So for us as men and women, it's really challenging. So this is what we need to think about. Men, we need to think about the thought and the idea that if I am treating my wife in a way that Jesus doesn't treat the church, I need to repent. And ladies, if you're responding to your husband in a way you'd never respond to Christ, you need to repent. Pretty sobering thoughts when you understand that there's an illustration through marriage that God intends to be a testimony and this is not, hear me today, this, this is not to, to put a burden on us. This is not to make us feel, I mean, I kind of think about that, and it's a little bit overwhelming, right? It's a little overwhelming to think about the sobriety of that statement. But here's the good news. God hadn't called us out on a limb, so to speak, and left us there all alone. He has actually empowered us with the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? We have supernatural power. We can do what God has called us to do because he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's endued us with power to love like Jesus loves, to submit and respect like Jesus respects, and to live out this relationship. And not only has he given us the Holy Spirit, but I want you to hear this. He's given us community. See, we have this thing called Christian community. We have this thing that we are a part of the body of Christ. We're about to launch our small groups next month. And what is powerful about small group ministry is, is this. We need each other. It sounds real spiritual to say, all I need is Jesus. But Jesus said, not only do you need me, you need each other. <laughs> he says, when you join Christ, who is the head, he automatically joins you to the body. Because apart from him, we're nothing. But apart from each other, we come short of the glory of God. And here's what I love about the community of faith. Here's what I love about Christian connection. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And what's exciting about small group community is that when I get around people that are really good at something, it makes me want to be better. When I get around people that are succeeding in their marriage and I see love and respect, you know what that makes me do? It makes me want to be better. And not only what's awesome about that community, not only does it create a model for me to follow. And by the way, there have been many couples in our church over the years Kelly and I have went to and we said, hey, we just want you to know we're looking to you guys. You guys have been an example to us and we're following the model of your life. We were, we were 27 years old when we started Liberty Church. Somebody say young and dumb. Come on, somebody. 
And if you're 27, I apologize. You're still young and dumb. Lord, help you, Jesus. Come on. It's all good. We're growing, right? We're growing. But you know what? I've, we've had many models and many examples, and it's through that context of relationship, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and the context of community that allows us to begin to draw from one another because I'm not out on a limb by myself. I am empowered by the Holy Spirit, and I am connected to life-giving community. That's why relationships matter. Amen? All right. So let's look at one more verse, and then we're going to break this stuff down together. Verse 33, he says, So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So last week we said that everybody needs love and respect, whether you're male or female, everybody needs love and respect, but love unlocks the heart of a woman and respect unlocks the heart of a man. Whether you're married or not married, whether you're single or whether you're divorced, love unlocks the heart of a woman, respect unlocks the heart of a man. So as we interact with people, we understand how do we minister to one another? How do we build relationships with one another? Love and respect, love and respect. If you can nail down two things, you can flourish and grow in relationships. If you can learn how to show the love of Christ in a godly way, and you can learn how to show respect in a way that honors the Lord, then guess what? There are very few people you can't cultivate a good, life-giving relationship with. Now, relationships require two, so it takes two to tango, so maybe they don't want to be in a life-giving relationship, and that's the decision they have to make. But when you nail down these two things, when you begin to settle them in your heart, married or not married, you begin to settle in your heart love and respect, you begin to understand those are the keys that unlock relationship. I can thrive on my job. I can thrive in my friendships. I can thrive in the church. I can thrive in my marriage when I learn how to use love and respect as tools in my life to unlock the best in other people. Think about that. Let me just say it again. I want to learn how to use love and respect to unlock the best in other people. Because you know who the people that love and respect you the most? The people that love and respect you the most are the people that you unlock the best in. Think about that. When you get around people and they make you feel small, they make you feel ignorant, they make you feel unimportant, they make you feel like you don't even matter, guess what? Those are not the people you flock to. Those are not the people you draw near to. You know who you draw near to? You draw near to the people that unlock the best in you, that make you feel like you are somebody, that make you feel like you have value and you have worth, that your voice matters and that your life matters. And all of a sudden you recognize it's through love and respect that they're allowing you to be the best version of yourself. And those are the people, hey, I want to hang out with. Those are the people I want to, I want to go watch the football game with. Come on, guys, Super Bowl Sunday. Go Jalen Hurts. Come on. All right. I'm sorry. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Let's move on. Sorry about that. All right. So today what we're going to do, today we're going to drill down into what mutual, because Paul said this, verse 21. Let me read it to you again. Ephesians 5, 21. He says, and furthermore, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're going to drill down today and talk about what does it mean for mutual submission in the heart of a husband. What does it mean for a husband to fulfill that verse? For a husband to submit to his wife. You're like saying, Pastor Keith, that's not what it says. No, it says submit to one another. So if I'm married, my one another is my wife. So what does that look like for me? Because Paul here breaks that down for us. And so today we're going to drill down what it looks like for the husband to 
operate in mutual submission toward his wife. And next Sunday, we're going to talk about what it looks like for the wife to operate in mutual submission toward her husband. So all you ladies, if you lay out next Sunday, I'm coming to your house. Okay, I've done cleared my schedule. I've got a lot of pastoral visitation happening next week if you ladies don't come back, okay? So all you guys, listen well today. Practice what you learned today. And guess what? She'll be glad to come back next Sunday, okay? We good? Y'all good? We can work, work together with that? All right, here we go. So verse 25, he explains verse 21 to us as husbands. He says, so submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 25, for husbands, this means this is what it means for you as a husband to submit to your wife this means love your wives love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her so mutual submission look at that next point mutual submission let's talk about that so the core value first of all of every woman is love every woman wants to be loved which means her deepest need is love Valentine's Day for all you ladies that are getting a card for your husband there'll be all this stuff ladies will write little notes inside there they'll sign their name they'll put X's and O's and little hearts and little stuff all over it and a guy can barely write his name right I mean, you look at women's cards and men's cards, right? Men's card, he wrote his name at the bottom. Women's cards, there's all this writing on the inside. She's underlined all the little stuff. She's put little X's and O's and hearts and all that stuff. You know why? Because love is a core value for her. Love is a core value. There, God has written love across the heart of a woman. And she's a nurturer and she's a caregiver. And she knows how to support and she knows how to strengthen people. And she's the person, right, when you're hurting and when you're broken, you want to go to. You guys have maybe heard me tell this story. I was a teenager. I got a concussion. I was over at my friend's house. We got new skateboards. We were riding our new skateboards. And, I mean, I had a great wreck landed right on my head. Of course, they didn't have helmets back then. What in the world was a helmet? So we didn't have helmets back then. I was seeing double. I mean, I, everything was double. And my mom most of the time was at home but this season my mom was working second shift so my mom wasn't home so my dad was home and I didn't want to go home and tell daddy what had happened because I knew daddy would whoop me for getting hurt <laughs> that's exactly and he's right over there that's what my dad would do he, he said I told you about that skateboard because I'm sure he did the first thing he said you better be careful on that skateboard you know don't get a concussion well I guess what I did I got a, so I went home that night and and I ate supper with my dad and I never said a word and I'm sitting there watching tv and there's like three of them I never said a word. My mom got home at midnight that night. She walked door. I was like, Mama. You know, I mean, I'm starting to cry. <laughs> she takes me to the hospital and I had a concussion. So, because I knew where to go for love and affection. It wasn't daddy. <laughs> now, Papa Larry's gotten a whole lot softer in his old age. My kids and grandkids don't even know. They don't even recognize that man. He's just, he brings them yoo-hoos. I'm like, where's my yoo-hoo? He's like, get in line. Get to work. Get to work. <laughs> Pick on Pop all day. I love you, Daddy. So, so we understand that God wrote that. So that core value is written on the heart of a woman. And, and because it's a core value, it's her, deep, her deepest need. So let me, let me just say this. Because, because what we're talking about today is not meeting, right, as a man. We can't meet every wish and every whim of a woman's heart. We can't do it. And, and let, let me just challenge you ladies because I, I want to help you all for just a second. We live in a crazy culture today, and ladies, if you're not careful, you will allow Hollywood to create an unrealistic image of romance and love. You'll allow Hollywood to create an unrealistic image of romance 
and love. So let me just give you a clue. You did not marry a prince from a foreign country with millions of dollars and 400 servants to serve you. You married a redneck from Arab, Alabama. Come on. And some of them are pretty educated and some of them are pretty smart, but at the end of the day, he's a country boy. Come on. So you got to have a realistic image. And ladies, you've got to understand that God's Word, the holy word, not Hollywood, sets the standard of a loving relationship. The holy word, not Hollywood, sets the standard of what true love and true romance looks like. Now, men, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be romantic. And I'm just going to tell you, I know some guys in our church, they, they are really good at being romantic. I mean, they've got it nailed down, and I'm proud of them. I try to be one of those guys. But at the end of the day, we got to make sure that the standard for love and romance is not defined by what we see on the television or social media posts because everybody looks happy for three seconds. And then they're killing each other right after that picture's taken, right? So we got to be wise enough and discerning enough to let God's Word set the standard by which we define love and romance. So Jesus, the ultimate lover of souls, gives us this beautiful portrait. So look at the rest of this statement. So the core value of every woman is love, which means her deepest need is love. So mutual submission for a husband means to love your wife, guys, as Christ loves the church. So... How did Jesus love the church? I want to give you two words. There's a lot of words to describe how Jesus loved the church. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, Keith, I want you to just drill down on two. Here's the two words. He loved the church sacrificially, and he loved the church intentionally. Now, there's a lot of words we can use to describe the way Jesus loved the church. I just want to give you two. Sacrificially. Jesus loved the church sacrificially. You know what men do? Men lay down their lives for their wives. Men lay down their lives for their wives. That's what men do. That's love. Love is sacrifice. Love is preference. Love is willfully yielding my want for her need. Again, not every wish, not every whim. Ladies, how many of you know if you have unrealistic expectations, you're going to constantly be disappointed with your spouse? And if you're constantly disappointed with your spouse, you're going to be tempted to look elsewhere. And that's a trap and a scheme of the enemy. So as ladies, you've got to have realistic expectations. But as men, we understand part of, part of loving our wives as Christ of the church is we love her sacrificially, which means I put her need above my want. I mean, you know, when you read the Bible, it doesn't really sound like Jesus wanted to go to the cross. Y'all remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane? He says, Lord, if there's any other way <laughs> that we can do this, let's do it another way. But if not, thy will be done. See, we had a need that he submitted to over his want. That's sacrificial love. And ladies, when your husband puts your need above his want, that's love. When he sacrifices what he really wants to do because he's going to do what you need him to do, that's love. And let me just go ahead and tell you this too, ladies. I'm just going to help you out. Kelly is home, not feeling well today. If she were here, she would tell you this because she learned this lesson. So years ago, I would ask her these questions. I'd say, I'd say, well, what, what do you want for Valentine's Day? What do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? And, and you know, that, that, that Hollywood thing says, well, if you really love me, you would just know.
Well, I don't know. And I am not a mind reader. And so I, I, I don't know. <laughs> and so then she would say, well, if I tell you what I want and you get it, then it don't count. Because I had to tell you what I wanted. Praise God she got delivered. And praise God I got delivered when she got delivered. Because she realized something. She realized, praise God, for community, right? She, she was in a community of people, and she was listening to a message that wasn't being preached by her husband. And she heard a woman make this statement. She heard a woman say that when you tell your husband what you want, and he gets you what you want, that is love. Because, number one, he loved you enough to ask. Because how many of you men know we bought them stuff that we thought they would like, and they didn't like, and they took it back? No appliances. That's my dad's wisdom right there. No appliances. <laughs> so we recognize, we recognize. So she heard that and she recognized, you know, when I tell him what I want and he is willing to get me what I want, that's love. That matters. So I say all that to tell you ladies, help us out. When he says, hey, what would you like? Tell him something. What would you like? Don't say, oh, I don't know. Don't buy me anything. Stop lying. Come on. You want something, and you like stuff, and we want to get you something because we care about you. That's love. The second element of sacrificial love is I sacrifice my want for her need, and then intentional. Jesus intentionally went to the cross. I, I love the scripture where the Bible says that there came a moment in Jesus' ministry where he set his face toward Jerusalem. He set his face toward the cross. He set his face toward meeting the deepest need in the heart of humanity. And he was intentional and he was purposely pursuing that path. See, Jesus intentionally loved us. And as men, we love our wives by sacrificing our want for their need, but we also love our wives by being intentional in the process being intentional in engaging her, being intentional in listening to her, being intentional in doing the things that we've learned that she needs or even desires that we can do to be a blessing. See, let, let me read you one more scripture. We, we've already read it, but I want, I want to read it to you again because I, I want you to see something in verse 23. In verse 23, the Bible makes a very powerful statement. Look what it says. It says, for a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of his body, the church. For the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. I want you to consider what the Scripture is saying. As Christ is the head of the church, so the husband is the head of his wife. As a man, as a husband, you are, I want you to hear me clearly, you are a Christ figure. You're not Jesus and you're not God. So that's not what I'm saying. Everybody hear me? But you are a Christ figure. As Christ is to the church, the husband is to the wife. What does that mean? The way you look to Jesus is a way that your wife should be able to look to you. And I want you to think about, when do we really look to Jesus? The truth is, most of us look to God in our worst moments. Most people come to Christ not because their life is an amazing success. Most people come to Christ because their life has fallen apart and they realize, my way ain't working anymore. 
And so I want you to think about this, men. I want us to think about this. Can our wife look to us like we look to Christ? When we come broken to the Lord, how many know that God in our brokenness comforts us? That God in our brokenness loves us? That God in our brokenness affirms us? That God in our brokenness encourages and strengthens us? See, we've got, we've got to recognize something as men. We've got to recognize that what works in a man-to-man relationship doesn't work in a man-to-woman relationship. Let me give you a very simple example. Most guys respond very well. If you have a guy that shares a struggle or a problem with you, right, and we got a great community of guys, we got our band of brothers, our men's ministry, and, and, and two things. First thing is when a guy shares a problem with another guy, he actually wants a solution. So when I tell Brian, hey, Brian, man, I've been going through this lately, and I've been really dealing with this, what do you think? I actually expect Brian to give me an answer. I want him to fix my problem. How many know women don't? Most of the time, your wife does not want you to fix her problem. She wants you to listen to her. She wants compassion and connection and affirmation and encouragement that everything's going to be all right. She don't want a solution. She's smart and she's talking to God. He'll give her one. She wants the comfort and affirmation and encouragement from her husband that says, I'm with you and we're going to make it and everything's going to be all right. So we got to recognize, men, that when your brother in Christ shares a problem with you, give him your best solution because he'll be upset if you don't. When your wife shares a problem with you, shut your mouth and listen. Console her, encourage her, and then I've learned to say, hey, do you want a solution or you just want me to listen? And usually she'll say 99.9% of the time she'll say, I just want you to listen. I'm saying, okay, baby. I'm going to hug you. I'm going to hold you. And if you want a solution, I got 12. (laughs) I mean, because when you started talking, I mean, I started, you know, I got 12 of them. We can figure it out. Second thing is, is when you're talking, guys, when you're talking to guys, guys, Guys are guys, right? And so we're hardwired by the Lord to be unique. And so when a guy is struggling and going through a difficult time, you can tell your brother in Christ, man, you know what? You just got to suck it up and get over it. You can tell your brother, your brother that. You know what? Most guys kind of respond to that. They're like, you're right, man. I, I got to get, I'm, you're right. You tell your wife that, you're going to get a black eye. <laughs> She's going to punch you right in the mouth. She don't want to hear suck it up and get over it. That's not woman talk. And so here's what we got to do, guys. We've got to sacrifice what we want. I want to fix her. Sometimes I want to tell her, suck it up and get over it. But I've got to sacrifice what I want for what she needs and be intentional in meeting that need and acknowledging the divine distinction that God created in us. Right? She's not right, and I'm not wrong, and I'm not right, and she's not wrong. We're just different. And I've got to recognize that. And if I talk to my wife like I talk to my buddies, I'm going to drive her away. And I'm going to undermine what God intended to happen. Now, that doesn't mean we can't have real conversations, and that doesn't mean we, can't, we, we, we don't fix problems because we have to fix some problems. But it means there's an appropriate time through which we do those things and that we honor that. Among each other. Amen? Y'all still with me? Everybody good? All right, look at that next point. 
So when her need is met, I want you to hear this. When her need is met, when you meet that need of her heart to be loved, her heart is opened. She becomes the person that you dated. She becomes the person you fell in love with. She becomes the person that you wanted to marry. So what happened? How does the person that you couldn't get enough of become the person you can't stand to be around? How does that happen? Because when her heart, when her need is met, her heart is open. And you know what happens? God, God in his wisdom is, is empowering us. Again, we said at the beginning, the key to healthy relationships is not control, it's submission. So when I submit to and meet the need of being loved in the heart of my wife, you know what will happen? Her heart will open. And she actually becomes the woman I dated. She becomes the woman that I couldn't get enough time with. She becomes the woman that I wanted to marry and spend the rest of my life with. She becomes that woman. You know why? Because I am meeting that need. I'm meeting that need. So what happens? How do I go from never being able to have enough to where I can't even stand to be in the same room with you? Because it happens. Well, the reason it happens is this little thing called the crazy cycle. Look at that next point. The crazy cycle is really this. It's, 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 this is what happens. The crazy cycle is what happens when a husband acts unloving, then the wife acts disrespectful. And when the wife acts disrespectful, the husband acts unloving. <laughs> and then this can happen. Think about it. This can happen in a second. I mean, me and Kelly can go from having the best day we ever had to having the worst day we ever had in about that quick. We can jump on that crazy cycle. I can be unloving, she'll be disrespectful. She can be disrespectful, I can be unloving. And if we're not careful, I mean, we're on that merry-go-round and it's spinning about 100 miles an hour. Unloving, disrespectful, disrespectful, unloving, unloving, disrespectful, disrespectful, unloving. And that thing begins to spin, and that thing begins to spin, and that thing begins to spin. Now, here's the key. The key to breaking that is maturity in Christ. See, if we're not spiritually mature, then what will happen is that thing will spin and what started in a second will last a lifetime. And before you know it, you've been married 20 years to somebody you can't even stand to be around. And the reason we got so many man caves and she sheds is because nobody wants to talk to each other anymore. And everybody comes home from work, and they go their way, and they go their way, and nobody's talking, and nobody's eating, and nobody's fellowship, and nobody's doing anything together. You know why? Because the person I used to couldn't get enough of is now the person I can't even stand to be in the same room with. And so, so we have to recognize it is maturity in Christ that breaks the cycle. Somebody has to go first. And let me give you a revelation today. The mature one apologizes first. I remember back in the day, uh, before Kelly and I learned this stuff, I remember thinking, you know, I'd get, I would get in an argument, and I'd be, I'd be in there thinking, and the Holy Spirit would be convicting me and say, you need to go apologize. You need to go apologize. And I'm like, I, I always apologize first. Said, she should. She should. She should. She started it anyway. Don't we sound like two-year-olds? I mean, yes. And then one day we got the revelation that it, the mature person is the one that actually apologizes first. And so now we kind of jokingly kid around when we get in a fuss and somebody apologizes, we'll say, yeah, mature, you know, just, just want to let you know I'm the mature one. <laughs> now we do that jokingly because you could do it sarcastically and it would keep us on the crazy cycle, right? But we kind of have a little fun when the, when, the, when the fuss settles. 
And by the way, we still fuss. And by the way, we get on the crazy cycle. And, and by the way, I'm glad you don't live with us. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know what? Somebody's got to be mature enough in Christ to break the cycle. Somebody's got to be mature. See, as long as you say, men, listen to me. As long as you say, I'm not going to treat her loving till she treats me respectful. And as long as you women say, I'm not going to treat him respectful until he treats me loving, then you're going to die alone. Because the only way to break the cycle is somebody has to follow the golden rule. You remember the golden rule, treat other people the way you want to be? Somebody has to break the cycle of carnality and get into the Spirit of God enough that says, I'm going to show her love even when she's being disrespectful. And I'm going to show him respect even when he's being unloving. Why? Because I value our marriage more than I value being right. I wonder how many people have gotten divorced because they were too stubborn to move away from I'm right and you're wrong. I'm right and you're wrong never wins the day. I'm telling you, I'm right and you're wrong always divides us. We learned several years ago, here's a question we got to ask. Not who's right and who's wrong. Here's a question we got to ask. What's wrong and how do we make it right? What's wrong? Not who's wrong, what's wrong. Well, what's wrong is we're not communicating. What's wrong, we've been not talking to each other for the last three hours. What's wrong is I got my feelings hurt and you said this or you did that or whatever. What is wrong and how do we make what is wrong right? Well, number one, I'm going to have to start treating her the way God commands me to treat her, regardless of how she treats me. And she's going to have to start treating me the way I treat her, no matter regards. Now, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about infidelity. I'm not talking about putting yourself in bad situations, okay? I'm just talking about people being people. So I'm not talking about those extreme cases. So if you're in an abusive relationship, get out, protect yourself, okay? So I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about our day-to-day. -day. Somebody's got to be mature enough in Christ. To do those things. Let me, get, let me give you one scripture and we're going to wrap up with a final thought. Revelations 2. I want to back up to this scripture. Revelations 2 is a great verse. In Revelations 2, God is speaking to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesia, at, at Ephesia and, and he's, he's addressing them in, in Revelations 2. And look what he says. He says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, verse 4, that you have left your first love. Look at verse 5. So remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. So this, this scripture in context is about Christ and the church. God is correcting the, the, the Ephesian believers, the church at Ephesus. He's correcting them, and he's saying, hey, guys, you've left your first love. You need to return and do those first works over again. But we just read in Ephesians 5, verse 23, or Ephesians 5, that the Bible says that our marriage is also an illustration of Christ and the church. So I believe the principle between Christ and the church applies to our marriage. So here's the principle. One of the reasons that we get on the crazy cycle, one of the reasons we go from being madly in love to not even want to be in the same room together is because we stop doing the things we did when we first dated. We need to go back and do our first works. Do you remember when you first dated? When you first started dating, I mean, guys, you were sacrificial and intentional. You weren't going to get enough sleep because you could spend an extra two hours hanging out with your sweetie. Well, that was all right. You'll go to work tired. Right? You'll drive five hours just to go spend one hour with her. And now you won't even get out of bed and go get her a glass of water. 
God's remedy for the church was, hey, why don't you start doing what you used to do? Why don't you start returning to those first works, those things that you did that made you fall in love? Why don't you do those things again? Those things that you value, those sacrifices you made, those commitments you made, that intentionality you, you were thinking about one another? Why don't you do that again? And if you'll begin to do those first works again, great things will begin to happen. So, Creed, if you will, go ahead and come on up. I want to look at that last point. We're going to wrap up with this. and We're going to get ready to pray together. We're going to open the altar in just a moment. Here, here's the final point. We're going to use this point every week. God, in his wisdom, created a supernatural dependency that requires humility and sacrifice for relationships to thrive. He's asking us to give what doesn't come natural because he wants us to live supernatural lives. We need God. <laughs> At the end of the day, for us to have healthy, growing relationships, not just healthy, growing marriages, we need God, right? I need his help. And here's the good news. He's not asking you to do it on your own. He wants to help you. And let me just tell you today, no condemnation. Maybe you're sitting here today on the other side of a very broken relationship. I want you to understand God is not condemning you and neither are we. We love you. We're so glad you're here. And there is a future and a hope in Christ. There is a new beginning in Jesus. And we can glean and we can grow and we can learn. And guess what? We can get better. <laughs> Kelly and I have been married 32 years. I'm believing the next 32 years are going to be better than the first 32. I'm anticipating better things, not worse things. Better things that God has in store for us. But it all comes down to <laughs> humility and dependency upon the Lord. God, I need you. I want us just to bow our heads real quick. I'm going to ask our prayer team to go ahead and make the way to the altar. But before we open the altar and go into our final song of worship, I want to just challenge you today. If you're here in the room or you're watching online, Maybe you've never humbled your heart before the Lord. Maybe you've never submitted your life to Christ. Maybe you realize today that uh, the help you need, you don't have. And you don't have the help you need, not because you're a bad person and God doesn't care about you. You don't have the help you need because you've never invited Jesus into your heart and your life. The Bible calls it being born again or being saved. And today you can be saved. Today you can be born again and have brand new life in Christ. And you can experience the hope and the strength that we all need for healthy, godly relationships. So if you're here this morning and you realize, man, I, I've never accepted Christ. If I were to die right now, I'd spend eternity separated from God and I need Jesus. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand. Just slip it up high. I need Jesus today. I want to pray to accept Christ. I want to be born again. You can just slip your hand up. If you're watching online, you can type in that chat box. You can hit that hand emoji. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I've never been born again. I want to accept Christ today. I don't need just help for relationships. I need help with God. I don't know him, and I want to know him today through his son. If that's you, I want to pray with you this morning. If you're watching online, we want to pray with you. So let's just pray this prayer together, all of us together in this room. Let's say it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I confess that I've sinned and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and Savior. I want to be born again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now.
I'm going to let you stand to your feet this morning. If you prayed that prayer, congratulations and welcome to the family. Go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to open the altar up. Karita's going to lead us in our final song of worship this morning. And if you need prayer today, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. We've got some awesome prayer team members here. And, and I don't know where you're at and what you specifically need, but I know that Jesus can meet that need. So if you need prayer right now, the altar's open. Let's go on this last song and let's worship him. So I 